You ever buy a present for someone and you could tell it's not exactly what they wanted? Not that they're ungrateful, they're just not exactly thrilled. I mean, you did your homework, you asked family members, you asked friends, what do you think I should get? And you got it for them and it just wasn't. In fact, they asked if you would be so hurt if they exchanged it. Um, Well, you know, we come to this passage tonight, we don't have to guess what's pleasing to God. God comes right out and tells us here, this is what pleases him. This is what brings him happiness. So I want to accomplish this purpose tonight. As we see, really, the purpose is couched right here in verse 9. And Paul puts it right out there, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would live worthily of God. Paul prays and he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God and may this be the result that you would live worthily of God. So verse 9, let's look first at the request. And from this day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So Paul is stepping back into really what he's just discussed in verses 3 to 8, talking about their faith and how he heard the gospel and how the impact that the gospel has made. He says, I don't cease to pray for you. Just as a PS here, look at this later on your own and just note what Paul prays for and search what he doesn't pray for. And may that give you guidelines what really ought to be involved in our prayers, how we ought to pray, what should be um, our passion and our desire. So he says, I, from this day we heard, not cease to pray for you, that you may be filled with knowledge. His desire and his prayer is there that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they would walk worthily. So this is his purpose. This is what he's after here. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This word filled means to be completely filled, totally filled. Maybe we could say controlled. In fact, figuratively speaking, the same word is used to talk about individuals that um, what controlled them. It's spoken in, in Romans chapter 129, speaking of their unrighteousness. And it says in Romans 15, verses 13 and 14, that they were filled with joy and peace, full of goodness. So they're characterized by joy and peace, characterized by goodness. So what what Paul is after, he says, I want you to be characterized, I want you to be described this way, that you're as you're filled with God's will. And then the results that we'll look at. You know, what, what characterizes you? As Paul prays this, he says, I want you to be, be filled, be characterized with the knowledge of God. Well, what, what controls you? What characterizes you? If you were to ask others, would they say, well, they're a pretty angry person. That's really what characterizes them a lot of times. Or would they say, well, they're a pretty rebellious um, child. And that's really what I just see them continually arguing. Or would they say, well... We see them in church all the time. They're characterized by their faithfulness, but they don't serve. They don't do anything else. I received a phone call this past week from a man that I knew from 30 years ago on Long Island, um, John Sokolowski. And I didn't catch the message, and he left a voicemail singing the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and let's talk about Jesus. There are two songs that we had sung a lot on Long Island, and I called him back. And I'm just rejoicing in in all that God has done in his life. John came to know Christ about 30 years ago. He was brought to our church by an air traffic controller. They were both controllers. And um, John just accepted the Lord, grew in his faith, and became passionate for God. He never lost it. 
He would be characterized by one that's full of love for God and passion for God. And that's really what we're after in this passage here. What characterizes us? And Paul is after, and he says here, may you be characterized by, by, by being filled with the knowledge of God's will. He says, I want you to be filled with this knowledge. This knowledge has a preposition on it, which really intensifies it. He's really digging hard the knowledge of the will of God or God's will. Now, this isn't speaking of God's will for one's particular life. Well, you know, is it God's will for me to move here? God's will for me to buy this? He's really speaking of God's commanding will. What are God's commands? What are God's desires um, as absolutes of Scripture break down? So he prays that the church at, at Colossae would be filled, would be characterized with this one desire, that one, one description, that they are consumed with the absolutes of the word of God, that they are consumed with the commands of the word of God, and they're, they're continually putting them on. In fact, it describes further wisdom and understanding. In fact, spiritual points to the spirit's part in bringing the wisdom and understanding. So he says, I want you believers at Colossae to know God's will, knowledge of God's will, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Well, that will only be gotten as we get into the word of God, as we allow the word to get into us, as we devour the word, as we apply the word. This morning, my D group um, just asked the guys, what are they having in their devotions? You see, that's important for each one of us to be growing daily in our time with God. But it's not enough just to check the box and say, okay, I had my devotions today. But it really has to be, did I have my devotions, my quiet time with God, and am I applying it? Because knowledge, head knowledge, doesn't do anything. But it's transformation as we apply it to ourselves. So what, what is controlling us? What characterizes us? What's consuming us? Do you desire to make an impact in this world? As we look at all of the chaos and all that's happening, the hatred, the division, the racism, arrogance, superiority, and all of the ugliness, what really will bring change? As we believers look at the word of God, accept its truths for our lives, and we allow God to bring the wrench of change into our lives. As we love God vertically, and then it has to flow out horizontally as we love one another. So that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That we would just be consumed. That we would be characterized. That we would drink up his truths as a deer pants for water. That we would thirst for the presence of God in his word. But now he moves on and he gives the reason for the request. Okay, I want you to have the knowledge of God's will. But it flows into, and there's a, in Hannah, it's a purpose clause. He says that. He says, I want you to, that you would be filled. That's the purpose with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, so as to walk. He says, I want you to, to walk worthy of the Lord. And then I want you, secondly, to please him. So filled with the knowledge of God results in pleasing God. Filled with the knowledge of God results in walking worthily. So Paul says, I, I want you to walk worthily of God. I want you to walk in a, in a, in a, in a, worthily of his, of his presence, of his commands, of his relationship. What does worthy mean? You've seen a juror scale, um, a judge's scale. What you put on this side is a balance. If you put something on this side, 1.7 ounces, then the scale is going to be tipped unless you put 1.7 ounces on that side. So really he's saying what you put on this side has to equal this side. 
And we see it often in Ephesians 4.1 might be the best example that we walk worthy of the vocation to which we're called. Here's our position on this side, and now this is to be our practice on this side. And so Paul is using this word worthy. This is, we have, we have God's will, will. We have God's word. We have his commands. We have his precious truth to guide us. Boy, if we ever need it in the day and age, we look around and we, we need the word of God in our lives. So here we have this precious truth, this precious position. We're in Christ. We belong to him. And now we get to flesh it out over here to walk worthily, put it in our practice. So Paul is praying that they would walk worthily of who they are. You Colossian believers that he referred to earlier as saints, may we walk worthily of that position, that we are saints in Jesus Christ. Years ago, I heard James Kennedy, and it's all over the internet. Apparently, it's true. Um, James Kennedy used the illustration of Alexander the Great. One day, he was holding court, and he was sitting on this golden throne. And the soldiers, his sergeant of arms, was bringing in individual soldiers that had committed criminal offenses, and he was delivering his harsh sentences. And he was a guy that didn't let cut, cut his soldiers a break. He was pretty strong and harsh. Well, in, into his presence was brought a young Macedonian soldier. And as he's standing there, and he was brought in for desertion, Alexander the Great hated desertion. It was immediate execution. But when he looked at, according to the sergeant of arms who recorded it, supposedly, he looked at Alexander's countenance, and his countenance started to change from a stern countenance to almost a, one of compassion, a slight smile. And he said to this young man, he says, what is your name? And the young man said, Alexander. Alexander the greatest reporter that said, I said, what is your name? And the boy was caught off guard and quietly stammered and said, a a Alexander. And Alexander, as a reporter, jumped up, grabbed him by the tunic, and looked him squarely and said, I said, what is your name? And threw him down. And he says, either change your name or change your conduct. You see, we are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We are Christ followers. We're a little Christ. We're not going to change our, our name because we're forever belong to Christ, but we've got to change our conduct continually, each one of us that we would realize and remember that, God, I know your word, this absolutes that I embrace. I'm trying to pour them into my life. God, may I have my conduct square with who I am in Christ. But he moves on and he says, not only do I want the knowledge of his wor word, the knowledge of his will, the absolutes command and direct you that you walk worthily, I also want you to walk pleasing to God. He says that we would please God, that we would please him in every way. That we would live a life, that we would live in order, that we would be pleasing to him, that we would be fully pleasing to him. Well, what does a pleasing life look like? Maybe we could just sum it up and say a life that is selfless. A life that doesn't know uh, narcissism. A life that doesn't put itself first, I, me, mine, myself. A life that sacrifices its own wants for others. You know, if we were again to ask people, what pleases this person the most? Or what, what do they live for? What, what, what do they desire? Who do you most live to please? Perhaps we should ask. Maybe some would say, well, I think I live to please myself. Or someone might say, I live to please my spouse. Though that is great, but that could become an idol. 
Or they might say, I live to please my friends. I want to be accepting my friends. I don't want them to think that I'm strange. Or maybe someone would say, well, I think I'm living to please my boss. I'm after that raise or I'm after maybe he'll go out and buy me a nice coffee, you know, or something like What are we living for? What's, what's our desire? What's, what's our aim? May we live to please God primarily number one. And that's what Paul is after. And so this is his big purpose or big idea. I want to be, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so we live worthily to him. Well, really, the rest of the passage is pretty cool in how it breaks down. Verses 10b to 14, he's going to give us four participles, and those participles modify or will, will like elaborate how we could walk worthily. You see, God is not big into hide-and-seek. I mean, I love the hide-and-seek game with my kids, with my grandkids when we get together, but God doesn't play hide-and-seek. God doesn't hide his will, or God doesn't play the game, you're getting warmer, or no, you're cold, cold. God puts it right out. This is how we will live worthily to please him. And he gives us these four, um, four phrases or participles that he, that he shows on. And we, we look at first, bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, if we're filled with the knowledge of God's word, absolute, we're living worthily, this is going to be a result of it. This is what will happen. This is how we live pleasing to God. We will bear fruit. By the way, verse 6 has bearing fruit and increasing, and we see bearing fruit and increasing. Bearing fruit and was increasing, same words in the gospel. The gospel brings forth fruit. The gospel increases. Now he's praying that the Colossian believers, now you have to let the gospel continue to bear fruit and increase in your life. It's bearing fruit and increasing all over the region. Now specifically, let it bear fruit and increase in your life. Fruitfulness results from knowledge of God. Fruitfulness will result from application of God's word. You know, if you look and say, I I don't know that so-and-so is a believer, or if we challenge a person, as I have recently, are you really a believer? And my reasoning is, where's the fruit? There ought to be fruit in our life. We ought to be bearing fruit. It says in John 15, verse 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. See, bearing fruit is just a result of abiding in Christ, and that's what he writes in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. So God tells us that if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And he's calling on us to bear fruit. Our behavior, our conduct, our action, our words are the, what will produce fruit. As I abide in the scriptures, this is the fruit that will be produced. How I live, how I think, how I speak, how I act because I'm being surrounded by God's word is my parameters in my life. Well, secondly, what we see here is an increasing that we would be increasing in, in our walk with God. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul prayed that the Colossian believers would be filled, uh, would be controlled, would be characterized with the knowledge of God's will. And he's now further explaining it, that you would increase in the knowledge of God. By the way, isn't it interesting? He says, 
that they would have knowledge of God's word, they would walk worthy, and the result of that knowledge of God's word, the result of that, that understanding, that application of God's word is that you will be increasing in knowledge. We'll get to know God more and more. I think this increasing in knowledge is specifically about who God is and what he has done. Who is God and what has he done? Paul is crying out and praying that they would increase in that knowledge of him. Back in um, December, January, and February, I had gone through the Psalms, and I just felt a need in my own life just to have a bigger view of God. Um, who is God? And I mean, I, I know I've taken enough the, some theology classes to define it and defend it, but I wanted to get into the Scriptures again. Who is God? And be reminded. And I went through and I just highlighted everywhere um, on my computer, all in green, all of the characteristics of God. So I was in that study when I went to Michigan um, in February. Um, we went out there to see our, our uh, grandkids, I mean, my daughter and her family. And, um, and one of the, the privileges I had was take Josiah to school every morning. And we would just chat about life, a lot of spiritual subjects. He accepted the Lord about a year ago. So when I got to his school this one particular morning, and um, every morning he would jump in the front seat. We would be there early enough, and I would warm up the front seat, and he would enjoy that, and we would just talk. But I share with him what I had in my devotions that day, um, in my quiet time. I said, Josiah, let me give you one, one challenge, and we've talked about it often in the last three months. I said, grow a big view of God. So let me explain what I mean by that, that we would increase in our knowledge of God, that we would know God's characteristics, we would know God's qualities, that we would know what God has done for us, because then that will guide us in our living. We think of our friends the steals. And what's helping Wall at this time? In fact, he said to me this afternoon, um, my hope and the faith that I have in the Lord is what's carrying me. I don't know how unbelievers do it. You see, during this time that we're able to understand God's qualities, God's compassion, and God's care, God's wisdom, God's strength, we're, we're able to draw on that. So we need to grow a big view of God continually in our lives. Are you growing a big view of God? When was the last time you got into the scriptures and just did a study and tried to understand who is God? And then looking specifically at his attributes and his qualities and how you grow and know him better. And how that understanding, that knowledge of who he is and what he's done for you shapes your life and how you live. May we grow a big view of God continually. But he moves on to a third um, participle in describing how to walk pleasing to God, and he says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and, and patience with joy. This is a pack verse. It really would be great if we had a half hour on this alone, but, um, but we don't. Um, but he's, he's calling for them that they would be strengthened. Here's a result of you walking worthily of God, knowing his word, knowing the absolute, as you walk worthily of him, this will happen. You will be strengthened, you will be enabled in all that's happening and God will give you the power. Look at this, this word all, being strengthened with all. Um, this Greek word pos is used five times um, in, these five, in these verses. Verse nine, it's, called, it's translated all, fully in verse 10, every, all and all in the ESV. He is consumed with this idea of all, with every. Um, he's emphasizing the completeness, the sufficiency of God's power. 
So he says, as you walk worthily, as you get into the word of God, and God's word is shaping your life, giving you the absolutes, guiding how you're to live, and you're going to be walking worthily, and this will happen. You're going to be strengthened with all, not just strengthened with with some, but strengthened with all God's power. You know what? God's pretty powerful, right? God's pretty strong. So he's going to give us that enablement. He's going to give us that strength. And here's the, here's the purpose of it. Why am I being strengthened? Okay, what, what's God doing? So that I can have all endurance and patience. Try and understand the setting of the Colossian believers. Maybe they were being harassed a lot by the false teachers, by Gnosticism at that day, and, and, and the crazy beliefs that they had, and they're, they're challenging them, all, and things that they're saying. Maybe they're harassing and attacking this little church. So Paul is saying that I'm praying that you will be filled, you'll be controlled, you'll be characterized by knowing God's word and living it out in a worthy manner. And one of the ways is that you're going to be getting stronger. You'll be enabled. So in patience and endurance, so that when you're attacked, that you'll understand that God's able to carry you through these calm time, these difficult times. You know, God gave us the spiritual strength to live, live worthily in every situation and circumstance. I'm thinking of, of Romans 12 and the last couple of um, messages that pastors preach and looking at it. In the midst of all this going on, God, God can enable us. God can strengthen us to live worthily. Um, and even these days and in, in, in events that, that, are, that are absolutely wicked and evil, that we could get to a point, okay, God, you mean I don't have to return evil for evil? That I could return good for evil? That I could be like Christ? That I could live worthily of him? That I can endure Verse, verse 12, giving thanks. As we look at the last phrase that supports how to, what it will look like in walking worthy, he says, we'll give thanks to God. These verses are absolutely, absolutely awesome, as I believe the whole, the whole paragraph is. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance and the, the saints and light. Paul is calling on them. Give thanks to the Father. This is going to be a result of getting God's word in your life, of living worthily. You will give thanks. Think with me for a moment. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for what he's done in your life? Hopefully today, right? But I'm guessing for some, it may be days, it may be even weeks. But Paul is calling on the Colossian believers to just, just don't be like, um, what is it in Proverbs 30, the leech and said, give, give. Don't be like that, just getting into our prayer life. God, give me this, or God, give me this, or God, I pray for this. But that we just pause and adore God, that we give God thanks, that we, we step in his presence. Now, this isn't just some emotional thing where you listen to some song like, by passion, God is so good, and you want to just whip out giving God thanks and then it's done, or some temporary, temporary thing. But it's a lifestyle that we're, we're crafting, a lifestyle that's being shaped. As I continue to study the word of God, I'm amazed that God would love me, that we would be like my friend John Sokolowski, calling and just praising God and taking that, that message everywhere we go because God is so awesome and God is so good. You see, Paul's call here, if we were to put it into the Old Testament 
frame of thinking is, in fact, let's look at a couple of Psalms. Psalm 35. He's not really calling on them just for a one-time act. It's really calling on them to remember God's acts to them. And as a result of that remembrance, it really becomes a submission to God. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. It really is with it, the whole framework of, of God, I, I need you, I'm giving thanks to you. By me giving thanks to you, I'm admitting that I'm not able to do it on my own. I'm admitting that I had a need. I'm admitting what you've done. And God, I go further than I will submit to you. I will allow you to guide and to lead me and shape and direct me in my life. It's so awesome. He says, giving thanks to the Father and this whole context that he's about to now step into after he says the in whom in verse 14, verses 15 and following, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to the Father for what he has done. What has he done? What has God done for us? Well, look what he says in verse 12. He has qualified us. Um, he's, he's made us um, enabled, made us competent. He's made us sufficient. He's made us um, able to, to be accepted of God. You see, on our own, we weren't qualified. On our own, we were not able to come to God and say, God, I, I think you might have a treasure in me. Um, I'm ready to get into heaven because of what I've done for you. You see, the Bible says that we're not able to earn God's favor through good works because all of our works are, are dead. All of our works are unrighteousness. All of our works is Isaiah said are like filthy rags. That we were dead spiritually. We were at enmity with God. We were separated from God. We were alienated. We were hostile. We were blinded. In fact, Timothy says that we were held captive. So here we are in this condition, and Satan's family were in trouble, and God came into our situation and changed the qualifications. And through faith in Jesus Christ, he now writes qualified. He now writes we're accepted. Years ago, Newsweek magazine carried an article, carried a story on the, at the memorial, uh, about the memorial service of Hubert Humphrey. People from all over the world came to say goodbye to an old friend that they had, former vice president of the United States. One person came who was shunned and was ignored by virtually everybody there. Nobody wanted to talk to this man. This man was an embarrassment to the United States government. This man was former president Richard Nixon. And he was standing in a corner all by himself, absolutely no one talking to him. President Carter walked into the room and scanned and he saw the whole crowd. And before he sat down, he saw Richard Nixon over in the corner. He went over to Richard Nixon and welcomed him, put out his hand and welcomed him for being here at the White House. And the two of them, Newsweek said, embraced. And then these are the words that he said to, to Nixon, welcome home, President, welcome home. And Newsweek went on to say it was that kindness and that gesture by President Carter that changed the, tra the trajectory or the ordeal for, for Nixon to pull him out of the wilderness is what they said. His long ordeal in the wilderness was over. He was accepted and things supposedly got a little bit better for him. Well, I think of that illustration when I think of what Christ has done for us. God has brought us out of the wilderness, the domain of darkness, brought us out of Satan's kingdom and made us qualified. So what should be my response when I 
when I think about what Jesus has done for me, should I not give him thanks for, for all that he has done? But hold on, friends, it just gets richer. Qualify the share in the inheritance and the saints of light. We, we need to skip some of this incredible truth. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us. He has set us free to be delivered, to be, to be rescued, to be, to be helped. You know, we, we all like rescue stories. We look at them in the Bible. In the Bible has some incredible rescue stories. From the Exodus, really, maybe we should start with Abraham uh, rescuing Lot one time, and then God rescuing Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Then we move forward, we see the Exodus, and we move forward, we see Samson and his cry. We see David from Goliath. We see the three Hebrew boys. We like rescue stories, but this is really the greatest rescue story we can ever find, that God delivered us. Where did he deliver us from? You know, if we're delivered from, you know, pain in our side, well, that's, that's great. Thank you, God. If we're delivered from maybe a temporary heartache, but notice what it says, delivered us from the domain of darkness. This word from, that's a preposition of separation that God separated us from. We were in this domain of darkness. And don't miss the word domain of darkness and kingdom of his son. There are two antithetical thoughts that are going on here. Here we have this domain of darkness. We have this, this authority, this power that belonged to Satan. We were not only at home in it, we were residents. We were family members of his. We were dwelling in this, this fear of wickedness, in this fear of darkness, in this fear of, of utter catastrophe. We were at home in it. But everything changed when Christ stepped into the picture. He brought us from that domain of Satan. He brought us from that domain of, of eternal hellbound agony, separation from God that we were heading. And he brought us to the kingdom of his son. He, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Friends, may we never get over that. God delivered us from the domain of darkness. May we, as I said to dear Josiah, may we, may we continually grow a big view of God. May I remember continually what he has done for me. And this will drive me, right, to walk worthily. This will drive me to love God vertically, love others horizontally. That he's delivered us. But he keeps going and he says, not only did he deliver us, he transferred us from the kingdom, from this kingdom. He's transferred us from, from, from this, this wicked area or, and he's transferred us to where? To the kingdom of his dear son. You know, it's used in ancient literature when a king would take a conquered people and we really see it in, in the captivities of Israel and transfer them to another area so to mix up the rules so it wouldn't be such a problem and just try to inter, intermix the people. Well, this is what this idea here is that God transferred us. He took us from there and he brought us to the precious kingdom of his beloved son. What a sweet truth that God took me from a evil, wicked, absolutely beyond description taskmaster to be brought into the precious arms of Jesus. Friends, what's our response? You know, we each belong to one of two kingdoms. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you belong to Satan's kingdom. But if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, we belong to his kingdom. What should be our response? What should be our desire? 
What should be the way we live? What should, what should frame our actions, our words, our attitudes, how we spend our time, our talents, our treasures? Because of what he has done. In closing, in whom we have redemption. This in is, is the means by which this all came about. This is the means by which God accomplished his will in our lives is through Jesus Christ. In whom? And he, this is just a, a sweet stepping stone into some of the most awesome verses in all of Colossians. And I look forward to my next Colossians message. I'm going to tackle that one, 15 and following, as it talks about the preeminence of Christ and who Christ is, in whom we have redemption. Christ has set us free. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has paid the price Christ paid the ransom price. He paid the price for our sins. Ephesians 1.7 talks of what Christ has done. It says, let me, let me skip forward, I'm sorry. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I have redemption through the blood of Christ, and it's all because of the riches of his grace. I have been set free. I have been redeemed. And Paul explains how it happened. God redeemed us. God was able to qualify us. God was able to transfer us. God was able to do all of this because of what Christ has done. Redemption and forgiveness of sins. We, this, this, again, this word forgiveness is a, a pretty sweet word. It's really a compound word. It's, carrying, it's capturing two thoughts, the idea of, of to send and the idea from. So, so God sent our sins from us. What a position we have in Jesus Christ. We have all of this that God has given us this incredible position that, that, we, live, that we live in him. So what should be our response? I mean, when I look at our calendar, what we're going to do this coming week, how we're going to spend our time, are we going to struggle tonight or tomorrow morning to get into this word? Are we going to struggle to flesh out and live for him when we think of all that God has done for us? Are we going to live a life that's pleasing to him or will we live a life that's pleasing to ourselves? That's really the challenges that we have. And Paul is begging the Colossian believers to be filled, be controlled with the absolutes of the word of God so that you'll live a life worthily and be pleasing to him. Back in 2006, I should say, and my girls, I'm glad you're not here. I'm not real subtle sometimes at Christmas time. You know, I figure, why waste you know, money on things that people don't want. So I'll come out and tell you what I really would like <laughs> sometime. Um, so this is what, back in 2006, I was dropping a lot of hints. And I was saying, you know, girls, I've never wear jerseys. And I really don't like to wear jerseys. But you know what would be a really nice present for dad this Christmas? A Brian Dawkins, Dawkins jersey. And so I probably said it a few more times too. So it came time for a Christmas morning. And the present from the girls, and I open it up. And it was a jacket vest. And I looked at that and I said, oh, thank you. And I'm thinking inside. <laughs> but I didn't realize that the girls and Lynn had switched presents. And so now I open up Lynn's present and there was a Brian Dawkins jersey. And the girls, they're just jumping all over the place laughing. You see, they knew what would be pleasing to me. Brian Dawkins jersey. But really... What's pleasing to God is that we consume ourselves with the, fill ourselves with the knowledge of God's word.
get to know God personally, intimately, obey his commands, and then as we flesh it out, as we live worthily of God, we'll please God. May this be a week that we please God. May we go hard after him. May we bring him glory. May we stop and think, God, what do I need to change in my life so I do please you? Maybe we just make up a list. God, how do I need to conduct my time so I'm bringing you pleasure, so I'm bringing you glory, so I live worthily of who I am? And go through and think how you use your time, things that you watch, how you get on the computer. How much time do you waste on the computer? How much time do you waste watching TV? And, and just to fill it with the Word of God, start to memorize the Word of God. And if you're not daily in, may I just say in closing, if you're not daily in the Word of God, would you talk to one of us? We'd love to help you how to have a regular daily quiet time with God so you're applying His truth to your life. God, we love you. We thank you for your, your grace in our lives. God, such an awesome passage, and forgive me for doing injustice to it, but God, your word is, is powerful and true, and may you just bring home these truths and drive them home with the one piercing question being asked continually of this week, how can I walk worthily of the Lord? Am I walking worthily? Can I be filled with God's word, with God's absolutes, with the knowledge of God, so that I will walk in a manner that pleases him? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless. Have a great week.